If you have a Bible with you, if you have a Bible on your phone, can you turn or find the book of Jeremiah? It's about two-thirds the way through your Bible. Kind of towards the the end of the Old Testament, which is the first half of your Bible. Well, that probably tells you what our next series of talks is going to be. We are looking at the book of Jeremiah. Do you ever have one of those moments where you make a decision and then you kind of go, I don't know if, I've, I don't know if we've done the right thing. Um, are we sure we've done the right thing? All the time, Judy. <laughs> As elders, we got together, we prayed, we talked, we felt, thought, and we decided together, let's look at the book of Jeremiah. Let's preach on the book of Jeremiah. And do you know, you have those moments, it's normally when I'm driving or, or leaving somewhere, just thinking, I think we've made the right decision. I hope we've made the right decision. But do you know, as I've studied the book of Jeremiah, I've been encouraged, God's spoken to me, I've been inspired, challenged, and I believe it has much to say to us, much to say to us. We're not going to go through it verse by verse, chapter by chapter, mainly because actually the chapters aren't in the right, well they are in the right order, but they're not in the right timeline order, and um, we'll be here for a long time because it's one of the longest books of the Bible. But we're going to choose 12 or 13 themes, passages, taking us through this Old Testament book. So this morning, we're looking at chapter 1, and we're going to do a bit of background as well to the book of Jeremiah. So let's read the first little bit of chapter 1. If you haven't got a Bible, don't worry, it'll be up there on the screen. The words of Jeremiah son of Hilkiah, one of the priests at Anathoth in the territory of Benjamin. The word of the Lord came to him in the thirteenth year of the reign of Josiah, king of Ammon, king of Judah, and through the reign of Jehoahim, son of Josiah, king of Judah, down to the fifth month of the eleventh year of Zedekiah, son of Josiah, king of Judah, when the people of Jerusalem went in to exile. Okay, we're going to read the the rest a little later on. Maybe you know this book really, really well. Maybe you haven't got a clue what the book of Jeremiah is going on about and is about. Maybe you just know perhaps a handful of verses that really you can turn to or, or, or know or really encourage you out of the book of Jeremiah. But this morning, I want to give you enough background to this book so that you can kind of have a feel and know what's going on, but not so much that you fall asleep. But I won't be offended if you fall asleep, don't worry. We'll we'll just pretend God's speaking to you in prayer, shall we? Okay. So the book of Jeremiah, as I said, it's found in the Old Testament. And in the Old Testament, we see, we see this group of people called out to be God's chosen people. The Jewish people, the Israelites, called, God calls them to display his goodness and his glory 
to the rest of the world. And it starts with one man. It starts with Abraham. And God says to Abraham, he says, all the nations will be blessed through you, Abraham. This is an all-the-world thing. And as their history progresses, they're taken, they're taken into slavery. God miraculously brings them out of that. He takes them into the promised land. He, he helps them defeat their enemies. Despite not needing a king, because actually God's meant to be their king. God graciously um, raises up um, David and, and a nation is established in the land. A kingdom is there. And then after David, King Solomon, who builds the temple, who builds this place where other God's with them, they're going to encounter the living God in this temple, in this building, and it will be... Um, um, a place where they will encounter the living God. See, it's at this time when the nation is seemingly at its most powerful. There we go, there's a picture. That is um, under uh, uh, Saul and under King David, the nation. But then things start to unravel a little bit. Infighting disputes, wars, and the kingdom is split in two. I think that's our next map. You've got Israel to the north and Judah to the south, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And what surrounds these two kingdoms? Well, there's some of their unstable neighbours, like Egypt, and there's invading empires that are wanting to increase their territory, not least the Assyrians, I think that's on the next slide, Marvash. Oh, no, it's not, apologies. Uh, not least the Assyrians and the Babylonians. And eventually, the northern kingdom is destroyed by Assyria. That's the next one, Marvash, thank you. As the Assyrians kind of swoop down and destroy the northern kingdom and are a threat, a constant threat to the southern kingdom of Judah, but then Assyria's empire becomes under threat itself. Um, and now it seems to be the, it seems to be the Babylonians who are the, the superpower of the area, of the region. And it's this time, uh, through this time, Judah goes through a number of different kings, and they're a mixed bunch. We've, re we've read about some of those kings that uh, Jeremiah says he's, uh, in the, uh, his ministry is within, uh, Josiah, uh, Joachim and Zedekiah. See, they're a mixed bunch. Some of the kings of Judah, like Josiah, are good kings who follow the Lord. Others, like Manasseh, are pretty bad. And eventually, Judah is invaded by the Babylonians and all the people, the majority of the people, are exiled to Babylon. And it's during this time of uncertainty this time of crisis that the book of Jeremiah speaks into. So there's Jeremiah in Judah with all this going on. His ministry covers about 40 years and it ends when he's taken off to Egypt against his will actually as, as some of those that are left in Judah 
flee to Egypt so that they don't have to go into exile to Babylon. And so if you want to go back and read more of the history in your own time, if you look at the end of the book of 2 Kings and the end of 2 Chronicles in the Old Testament, you can kind of read up of, of those accounts of the, the last days of Israel and Judah. So what does this book have to say to us today? Well, actually, that's what we're going to be finding out about over the next few weeks and months. But it's God's word. Therefore, it must. That's what we believe at Jubilee, isn't it? This is not simply for our history. It's not simply that we know some history. This is God's word to us. It's here so that he might speak to us, so that we might know him more through it. So let's read the rest of this uh, first chapter of Jeremiah. The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Alas, sovereign Lord, I said, I do not know how to speak, I'm too young. But the Lord said to me, do not say I'm too young. You must go to everyone I send you and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth and said, I put my words in your mouth. See, today I appoint you over nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. The word of the Lord came to me. What do you see, Jeremiah? I see the branch of an almond tree, I replied. The Lord said to me, you have seen correctly, for I am watching to see that my word is fulfilled. The word of the Lord came to me again. What do you see? I see a pot that is boiling, I answered. It's tilting towards us from the north. The Lord said to me, From the north, a disaster will be poured out on all who live in the land. I'm about to summon all the peoples of the northern kingdoms, declares the Lord. Their kings will come and set up their thrones in the entrance of the gates of Jerusalem. They will come against all her surrounding walls and against all the towns of Judah. I'll pronounce my judgments on my people because of their wickedness in forsaking me, in burning incense to other gods, in worshipping what their hands have made. Get yourself ready. Stand up and say to them, whatever I command you, do not be terrified by them or I will terrify you before them. Today I have made you a fortified city, an iron pillar and a bronze wall to stand against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, its officials, its priests and all the people of the land. They'll fight against you but will not overcome you, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. So Jeremiah is called He's called by God. He's called to be a prophet to the nations. He's called to speak for God. There's nothing he'd done to earn that. It wasn't based on his good behaviour or his faithfulness. Actually, that calling started before he was even born, before he was even in his mother's womb. And God says, God says, I knew you. Not simply I knew of you, or I knew that you would come, but actually I was, I'm personally committed 
to you. He says, I set you apart. I decided I was going to use you in my plans. So it also means that actually God's calling on Jeremiah's life wasn't based on how he would perform in the future either. It was based on God's decision. It reminds me of uh, Paul's letter to the Ephesians. He says this in chapter 1, verse 3. He writes this to the Ephesian church. He, that's God, chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. Isn't that wonderful? Listen, if you're a Christian here this morning, God was choosing you and I even before the creation of the world to belong to him. Does that encourage you? When you're going through a time of difficulty and you just kind of, you have those, those thoughts. Is God really for me? Is God really bothered about me? No, no, he's, he's chosen you. He's chosen you and I. It's not just he's stuck with you. Oh, I got stuck with Raj. Oh, I got stuck with Bill. I got stuck, whoever. No, no, he's chosen you and I. And what's Jeremiah's response to this? I'm only a youth. I don't know how to speak. Jeremiah is likely a teenager at this point in his calling. And I can kind of understand what he's saying. I'm only a youth. I don't know how to speak. Because I've heard teenagers speak. And half the time, I've no idea what they're on about. And I know I used to be one, and I know it wasn't long, but, but I have no idea. Yeah, where's you going? Yeah. Like, like it's like, it's like this, and like, like and it's like, uh, just tell me. Don't tell me what it's like. I, 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 remember, my, I remember as a teenager, my mum and dad saying to me, uh, and, then I, and then I went... And then, I, and then he goes, and they say, well, where does he go? Well, if, you're not from, if English isn't your first language, maybe you'll, you'll have been confused by this. Where, where are you going? Where, where does he... Wh- no, no, oh, I meant I said. But you said go. And he goes this, and I goes that, and he goes... No, 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 say, I said that. I, I, we know teenagers, don't we? Do you, ever, do you ever feel inadequate like Jeremiah? Do you ever feel like, oh, I'm just lacking? I'm lacking in that quality, in that gifting. Would you look at others? But I'm not like them. Uh, Sarush and I had the privilege this week of spending some time with um, a church leader from just outside London who probably leads one of the um, largest churches within our movement of churches, New Frontiers. And uh, he, said to, he said to a group of us sitting with him, do you know, in these settings, I always feel inadequate. I always feel like, what am I doing here? Didn't he? I always feel like, why am I speaking to a group of leaders? 
I'm not anything special. I feel inadequate in it. Um, why would someone want to come and listen to me? Why would someone come, want to come and learn from me? And this is a guy who leads a church of over a thousand. Listen, I often feel inadequate just to lead myself, let alone to lead others. <laughs> Serious. Do you ever feel that? I'm just too inadequate to, to be of any use to God because of this background or because of this health issue because I'm quite shy or my English isn't very good. Listen, the Bible is full of accounts of people who thought that they were inadequate but actually come to trust in God and realise that he provides all they need. Gideon. Moses, a group of people who have been following Jesus, scared, hiding in a room, locked for fear of the authorities, only to encounter Jesus risen amongst them, saying, don't fear, as the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. Listen, Jubilee, none of us are adequate enough in our own strength. But do you know what? Jesus equips you and I. It's wonderful. But I would, oh, if, I, if I told them I was a Christian, I wouldn't know what to say to them. Oh, yeah, he equips you. But I couldn't serve in that area of church life because it's well out of my comfort zone. He equips you. He equips you and I. It doesn't seem to put God off. In fact, in fact he's more... I kind of think he's more happy to work with, he certainly is more happy to work with people who feel inadequate and trust in him than people who think they've got it all sorted together and think they don't need him. And then God says to Jeremiah in verse 8, do not be afraid, for I'm with you. So not only does God equip him, not only does God equip you and I, he's actually with us. The promise of Jesus is that he is with you and I. God the Holy Spirit is with us. We're a community of God where he's present amongst us. Not simply for a couple of hours on a Sunday morning, but actually with us as we face this week. Actually when we gather together in smaller groups, when we meet in homes or out in the community. We're a community of the Spirit. See, that's what sets the church apart from other groups that meet in this region, in Teesside. Not, I'm not just saying our church, I mean churches that love Jesus and welcome his presence amongst them. That's what sets us apart from any other, any other group gathering in this region. He's with us. His presence is amongst us. Does that raise your expectation of what he might want to do amongst us? Just as Jen spoke about the fish and, um, you know, Jesus calling us to, to fish where he's calling, to trust in him for all he wants to do, as Paul came on the back of that, does that raise faith in you? Man, if he's with us, if he's amongst us, what does he want to do in our midst? What does he want to do in Teesside? It raises my expectations, it raises my faith. Then we have these two things that Jeremiah 
uh, that God speaks to Jeremiah through, which will shape his ministry. The almond tree and the boiling pot. So he sees an almond tree. And there's a bit of a play on words here because the word, the Hebrew word for almond tree sounds a bit like the, the, the same word for watching. And uh, so through it, God says, through this tree, I'm saying to you, I'm watching over all I'm going to say and I'm going to make sure it happens. So this is one of the themes of Jeremiah. God is in charge. See, many would have said to, about all that was happening around Judah, all the uncertainty, well, whatever happens is just simply the result of politics, empire building, nothing more. God tells Jeremiah something different. First of all, he says, I'm in charge. You might hear it sometimes said and described in a very religious word called God's sovereignty. He's in charge. He's sovereign. Nothing catches him out. He knows it. In fact, it works together for his good and perfect plans. See, we can sometimes not think like that in the shifting movements of our world and the patterns of our world. Do we worry? God's lost control. This country's gone to the dogs. That's a very English saying, isn't it? This country's gone down the pan. And when we see on the news refugees fleeing from war-torn countries, financial markets in China plunging, or maybe when we face an uncertain job situation or a health problem, do we trust that God's in charge? Secondly, he sees this boiling pot facing away from the north, and God says that's where Judah's going to be attacked from. And it would be the northern roads that Bab- Babylon would have to, the Babylonians would have to come down to invade and attack Judah. But it's not just simply because the Babylonians are the strongest. There's an even greater reason. It's God's judgment of Judah's evil. The people thought, we'll be fine because, hey, we're the special ones. We've got history with God. We've got a temple. God tells Jeremiah something very different. Listen, these, these invading armies are coming because of my judgment on this people who've consistently and deliberately walked away from me. And I'm using them in my judgment of your sin. See, that nation had deliberately walked from a path, from, it walked from the path of what it meant to be God's people. They'd seemingly carried on their worship, but it was empty. It had become a thing around them, but actually it, didn't, it hadn't flowed from their desires, from their hearts. This can happen to us in our day too. Well, as long as I, as long as I go to church on a Sunday, I'll be all right. As long as other people think I'm a good person, I, well, I must be okay with God. But listen, the message of Christianity is don't put your trust there. It doesn't impress God. It's got no power to transform you. See, Judah had decided, well, we can have a bit of God and we can have a bit of whatever else we want as well. The so-called gods or idols that are around us. And they were being influenced by those nations and the people around them. A few years ago, it was reported that one of our famous, most famous 
celebrity footballers on the birth of his first son said to the news, well, I definitely want, we definitely want him to be christened. We just haven't decided what religion yet. (laughs) Come on. The clue's in the name, surely. It's funny, and we can kind of forgive him a little bit because, you know, he probably wasn't brought up in a a Christian setting um, uh, to really kind of get that. But imagine if someone had been following God for many years said that. Imagine if it was your leaders. Imagine if it was your community group. Imagine if it was your family. That's what almost is happening in Judah. That's what their actions were saying. We want the outward look of godliness, but we'll just have as well whatever idol, whatever fertility God we can find and we'll take. But there's also a more subtle way this can happen amongst us. See, when trends in society move away from what God's plan is for us, his good and perfect plan, care for the poor, honesty in the workplace, generosity towards others, sex within the safety of marriage between a man and a woman. When our society moves away from these things, well, do we say, well, we just need to change. We just need to keep up with the culture around us and, and just change to it. No, no, we're called to an inner faith and obedience to God, first and foremost. Just like in Jeremiah's day. We're called to say, how do I live in this world that God's put me in, yet be faithful to his word? Which not only helps me to live for him, but actually brings real joy, actually brings real freedom, genuine fruitfulness. So we've seen that God's in charge, we've seen that God judges evil, and finally God brings hope, and that's where we're going to finish. We're going to just look at verse 10 for a minute. God tells Jeremiah, See, today I appoint you over nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. So the first two sets are about judgment. Uproot, tear down, destroy, overthrow. But the third set, there seems to be this sense of hope to build, to plant. See, the second half of Jeremiah has this sense of hope for the future. God's use of the Babylonians to judge his people wouldn't last forever. The Jews would be allowed to return from captivity when Babylon is overthrown by the Persians. All our Iranian friends cheer. God was not abandoning his plan for his name to be known among the nations. We see in Jeremiah's prophecy of a saviour to come. In chapter 33, God says, in those days, at that time, I'll cause a righteous branch to spring up for David, 
and he shall execute justice and righteous, like a tree that seems dead, and then suddenly a branch springs with life, with hope, with growth. See, Matthew, who wrote one of the accounts of Jesus in the New Testament, he says that actually Jesus is from the line of David. That's where he traces Jesus' lineage back to. And regularly in the accounts of Jesus, people call him son of David. What do they mean? They're saying this is the one that the Old Old Testament prophets like Jeremiah were prophesying about. Son of David, the Messiah, the Saviour that would come. Jesus is the fulfilment of Jeremiah's prophecies of hope. God the Son coming to rescue his people from their sin and dying in their place. His death instead of ours, bringing men and women into a new relationship with God through the victory of the cross. See, Christianity centres on Jesus' death and resurrection. Because he defeated sin, we're made clean from it. Because he was raised to new life, we're raised in new life. And we'll know new life beyond the grave, beyond death. It's wonderful, we have a new identity, as Joe was saying. We're giving a new identity. See, that Jesus puts us right with our Heavenly Father, without us contributing anything, is totally a grace message. It's undeserved on our part. And we need to be careful not to miss the grace message in Jeremiah. And I've just put some verses up there. I'm not going to go through them now. You can read chapter 31. Look at the grace of God, the hope that we see. See, Jeremiah says in in chapter 31, I'm I'm going to deal with the very thing that holds you back from following me. I'm going to change your hearts. I'm going to, as it were, write my laws on your hearts. You know, this is what happens when someone becomes a Christian, isn't it? Not simply about external obedience. Oh, you want to become a Christian? Oh, right, well, here's all the things you need to do in order to do that. Follow these rules and then you'll be okay. No, no, rather, when you give your life to Jesus, he changes your heart. He changes your desire. He changes your hopes. It's an internal change. It's a work of grace. He enables us to love him where before we were unable to. He enables us to live in obedience to him when before we were unable to. Listen, as I finish and as we respond in worship, I want to ask you this question. Is that where your focus is right now? Or is it in how you can perform for God? Or have you let that drift and you found yourself in a situation where you know this isn't God's best for me? How did I get here? Listen, he's calling you to just refocus on him this morning, if that's you. As as we pray, you may just want to say, "I'm I'm bringing my focus back to you, Jesus. I'm bringing my gaze back on you, where I've let it drift onto other things. I'm going to choose obedience. Let's pray before we worship.
Father, I want to thank you for these words of Jeremiah's. Preserved over many, many, many years. Not simply by chance, not simply by fortune, but that, so that you might speak to us, your people, today through your word. And so I want to ask, as we journey through Jeremiah over the next few months, would you speak to us? Would you challenge us? Would you comfort us? Would you do all you want to do in us and as a people? Would the band come up and I'll just continue to pray? Listen, perhaps, you, perhaps you're not a Christian this morning. You said, I, I wouldn't describe myself as a Christian really, but I want to know more. Listen, you can. And Jesus, Jesus wants to know you more. You can do that, even this morning. You can say, I want to make a step towards you. You want to speak to someone who's brought you. You want to speak to one of us. I want to know what it is to have a new identity. I want to know what it is to to know a transformed heart that enables me to both love God and live for him. Would you keep our attention and our gaze on you, Jesus, right now, as we approach this week and forever? Thank you, Lord. Amen.